If you have your Bibles with you this morning or your phone, we'll be in Mark 12, the Gospel of Mark. We'll be about at the 28th verse. That's where we're going to start. Mark 12, Gospel of Mark. Start in verse 28, and we're going to read to verse 34 this morning. If you can, would you please st stand for the reading of Christ's Word? May you hear the word of Christ this morning. One of the scribes approached when he heard Jesus and the Sadducees and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked them, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Let us pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning. Give us eyes to see that. Give us ears to hear your voice through your word this morning. Give us a heart that is ready to receive your word to really chew on what you have for us. And may your spirit be so real and present with us that we leave from this place and said we have met with Christ himself. And so may you direct our hearts and our eyes and our heads to be ready to receive the gift of your word this morning. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to start out with an English lesson this morning. And I know some of you are already thinking, oh my goodness, not good. That's all right, because it's not a hard one. We can go back to about third, fourth grade when we're learning punctuation rules. Uh, but let me say the more common use of this punctuation rule, the Oxford comma. You ever heard of that one? Or it's called sometimes the serial comma. Let me th help you out with a little bit of an example. Let's say you have three things that you need to go to the store for. Bacon, eggs, and orange juice. But let's say that somebody made this list for you and then they put them in order. Bacon, eggs, and orange juice. You need commas to separate them. This is what the Oxford comma would do. The, the standard rule for this is bacon, comma, eggs, comma, right there, and orange juice. That is the Oxford comma rule. Now you might see it in some cases where you see bacon, comma, eggs, and orange juice. No comma right before the and. Is your, are your brains hurting already? The Oxford comma needs two commas for three objects. Okay, Bacon, comma, eggs, comma, and orange juice. You might think, why in the world are we having an English lesson this morning? 
because sometimes, and well, really oftentimes, punctuation really does matter. In fact, uh, I read in a New York Times article uh, about this time last year, there was this great lawsuit happening in Portland, Maine, over the use of a comma. What had happened is that there was this dairy uh, industry, and what was going on is that these drivers who were being uh, not being paid for overtime, they had taken their own dairy industry to a lawsuit because of a supposed missing comma. And here's what the contract read for these dairy drivers. It read this, the canning, comma, processing, comma, prospe uh, pre preserving, comma, freezing, comma, drying, comma, marketing, comma, storing, comma, packing for shipment or distribution of their product. And they were not being paid their overtime because of that last part right there. Because there was no comma between packing for shipment, comma, or distribution of. Because there was no comma, the company said, we cannot pay you overtime because you had an option. You could either pack for shipment or distribute our product. It's not you have to pack for shipment and also distribute. Well, guess what? The court ruled in their favor. That comma, that missing comma, cost that company $5 million. $5 million because of a misused comma. If there's a lesson, at least once it comes to English this morning, make sure you're wise in how you use your commas in a contract. We're not really dealing with uh, comma usage this morning, but I do want to put a punctuation symbol in front of us this morning that truly does matter as it relates to our text this morning, and it's this, a hyphen. Hyphens, by design, they connect. If you ever said the word sky blue, guess what? Needs a hyphen. Something that's far off needs a hyphen. Maybe something that needs to be up to date up hyphen to hyphen date. These words are connected with a hyphen. Once it comes to where we are dealing with this topic of unselfish self-care, we need to keep the hyphen in front of our eyes. Because if I can take you back to the past two weeks before our Father's Day sermon, I told you that once it comes to unselfish self-care, we need to have an inward and upward move in our lives. We take our inward lives and we point them upward towards Christ himself. In order for the, the spirit of Christ to work in us so that we might be cared for, might be sustained in his grace so that we can grow and mature in the things of Christ. But it requires an inward movement of our lives upward. But I want you to see those as connected with a hyphen. Because I'm going to add one more word to that today. Not just our inward lives moved upward towards Christ, but also outward. That's our third word that we have for this third sermon relating to unselfish self-care. I'll add a fourth word next week. But they have to be connected with hyphens. Inward, hyphen, upward, hyphen, outward. They're all interconnected. And I hope 
to make that very clear throughout this sermon because I think Jesus has much to say about how our inward lives are meant to move upward towards Christ, but also our inward lives are supposed to move outward towards other people. I don't know if you've noticed this once it comes to the American culture that we live, but it is very what we uh, call individualistic. I care for me. I tend to me. I enjoy things for me. I may even shop for me. I earn money for me. I do things for me. We've seen this, right? We've been a promoter of it. We do it all the time. But I hope uh, once it comes to dealing uh, deeply with the scriptures this morning, that the scriptures offer a different vision, offer a different way in which we can interact not only with ourselves but with others. And it is this. We shouldn't just tend to me, but we should tend to us. We should care for us. We should be enjoying for us. We should be able to buy for us. We should be earning money for us and doing for us. That it's not just about us trying to benefit ourselves, but to benefit us. That we see that our lives are meant to be pointed outward towards friends and family and strangers and the like. Because if there's one thing that we can find in the directions and the, in the guidance and the instructions of Jesus, it's not just about us. We it's about moving outward towards everyone else and including them in this goodness of grace that we find in the person and work of Christ. So the questions that we need to engage with this morning, and the ones that I've really thought through the past couple of weeks is this. What in the world does unselfish self-care have to do with outward movement? Or even really does it? Or here's the other main question. If it does, if Taking care of ourselves unselfishly does have an impact on the world around us. How can we see neighbor love as also tending and caring for ourselves? Did you hear that? Because that's the main question. How does neighbor love, moving outward to love our neighbor, help and take care and tend to our own care? How do those connect? Because I think the answer is found here in Mark 12. If you look at your text, if you look at uh, first in verses 29 through 31, because this is the meat of the text itself. Notice what Jesus says as this question is asked to him by this scribe, this uh, PhD in the scriptures. He says, what is the most important of the law? And Jesus answers, first, love the Lord your God with all of who you are. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. You might look at the question itself that the scribe asked, what is the most important? You see the question? The most important. That's my translation uh, that I'm reading from. The New Revised Standard Version says, which is the first of all the instructions? The KJV uh, reads, the first of all the commandments. The New American Standard Bible reads, what is the foremost? The NIV reads, the most important one is. And then you have the message interpretation that says the first in importance. I like what the NRSV and even the message is doing here. Because they're not asking which one is just greater than the others and the others don't matter. That's not it. Because the NRSV gets to the heart of what Jesus is saying. Which is the first 
of all of them that are of importance. And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God and also love your neighbor as yourself. Because notice this, and let's go back to the first two weeks of this sermon series that we've dealt with in the month of June. To love the Lord your God. What are you doing? You're taking your inward life and moving it upward, right? You're trying to cast the entirety of who you are, heads, hearts, hands, emotions, everything of, you, of who you are as a human being and moving it upward towards Christ as an act of worship. You are a holistic being. It's not just give your heart to Jesus. It's not just give your head to Jesus. It's not just give your hands to Jesus. It's give the whole of who you are, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything to him. You take in that inward life and moving it upward. But notice what he also says, and this is where we're going to really look deeply on now. Love the Lord your God, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we have this inward to upward movement. This inward to outward movement. But notice, it still takes the entirety of your being. Your heart, your head, your hands, the whole of who you are to move actively outward towards people in order to demonstrate the grace and mercy of Christ himself. It's not just a movement upward, church. It's a movement upward and also outward. Because that word love in the Greek language is agape. It means this selfless, outward, self-giving and sacrificial act. If you want to look at a perfect example of agape love, it's none other than Christ himself. Jesus isn't sent to earth to take on human flesh in order to just be him and the Father. No, you see him devoting his entire life to the Father, but also demonstrating it outward, taking care of people, offering miracles to others, demonstrating the Father's power in and through his own life and ministry. He is not just directing his life upward, but he's directing it outward as well. But we need to slow down when we read this verse, love your neighbor as yourself, because sometimes we cut off the end of it, don't we? Somebody might say, well, what, do you, you know, what are you Christians about? What's the church about? Well, we love the Lord our God, and we love our neighbor. Notice we stopped right there. We need to read slowly, read slowly, and see it in its fullness. Love our neighbor as yourself. We need to be sure to connect that to the verse itself. Love our neighbor as ourself. But notice it doesn't say this. You love your neighbor instead of yourself. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say love the na your neighbor before yourself. See that? It doesn't say love your neighbor above yourself. Not what it says. It does not say love yourself instead of your neighbor. That's not what it says, church. So once it comes to what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. As you love God, inward to upward, as you love God, love your neighbor and yourself too. So how do we do this? Once it comes to looking at this passage, we have to really go beyond it in order to clarify what we mean by love your neighbor as yourself. You could go to places like Romans 5.8. You could go to 1 John 4.19 to find this. Because God has loved you, 
and he has shown you this love through the tangible work and life of Christ, we also love others and ourselves. We love others and ourselves because we have first been loved. And we had also go beyond this passage to Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter where Paul says this, For no one has ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. The ways that we nourish, let's put all this together, ways that we nourish, the ways that we care for, the ways that we foster, the ways that we guard and even extend this same type of care that Christ has shown us, we direct it towards others also. Because God has loved us, we love Him and we love others as well. That same type of cherishing that He has cherished us with. The same type of care that He has cared towards us with. We extend it beyond outward moving towards others who need this same type of care. Let me use a couple examples to see if I can help clarify this. Have you ever heard of the herd immunization theory? Of course, right? <laughs> you read about it all the time. Herd immunization theory. It's a theory that actually came up in the early 1900s. You have not only the immunization of human beings that is being pushed quickly on from the medical uh, community into uh, the, the homes of those who are being infected with polio and another other diseases that are cropping up, but you also have the immunization of animals as well. And here's what this theory says, herd immunization, where you take your herd of animals and you immunize most of them, not all of them, but most of them. Because here's what the thinking, the logic went. If you immunize most of your herd, you are preventing disease from spreading and promoting also health within the entirety of the herd. Does that make sense? So if you have a couple of vulnerable or weak cattle, you don't immunize the weak ones because it might possibly kill them, but you immunize the stronger ones. And what this does is it actually provides a barrier around the weak ones because when the disease comes onto the farm, it's the stronger ones who are able to defeat the disease and the sickness, but also to be like a barrier around the weak and more vulnerable of the cattle. Or maybe this example. You ever pulled kids an apple out of the refrigerator and you notice that little brown spot, right? And you just think, hmm, not eating that part, right? So what do you do? Hopefully you don't throw it away. It's just a little brown spot. What do you do? Cut it off, right? You eat the parts that are healthy, but you cut off that one little brown spot. This is sort of like herd immunization theory. In order for you to stay healthy, you take out the parts that are not so, that are vulnerable and weak, so that you can promote health towards the entirety of the herd. Or, parents, you've probably done this. Last example. Your child is sick. In order to prevent that sickness to spread into the rest of the household, you take care of the one child that's sick. Nurse him or her to health to hopefully prevent the others from getting sick. Here's my point. Neighbor love itself 
it is meant, church, to be demonstrated. It is meant to be lived out in our own communities, in our neighborhoods. Neighbor love is a way in which we can create and cultivate a culture around us. That when sickness happens in our neighborhoods, in our communities, when disease and cancer and maybe hopelessness hits our communities, we are there, a people who bind together in our own communities to offer a barrier of protection. We're there in their homes offering prayer, food, support, so that we are creating and cultivating a type of environment where neighbor love becomes the default, the automatic, where we are there in order to tend to and to care for those who are weak and vulnerable. So yes, we must see our lives as moving from inward to upward, but also inward to outward in order to cultivate this neighbor love in our own homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, so that we can be there for people who truly need it in times of sickness, in times where they are weak, so that we can offer protection for them, health for them. So to act in neighbor love is when we tend to our neighbors, when we meet their needs in order to promote life, both physically and spiritually, to the whole neighborhood. We cannot see our Christian walk as just an inward to upward movement. That is selfish self-care. We're only worried about Jesus and me and not everybody else around me. Unselfish self-care is an inward to upward movement, but also an inward to outward movement. Because I'm convinced the scriptures are right. In taking care of those around us, it also tends to ourselves. That we are providing not only just health and vitality for the community around us, the church here, but we are promoting health and vitality for ourselves as well, and Christ works in the midst of those times. So here's the question that I pray you absolutely are haunted by this week. You ready? How will you actively and how will you sacrificially love your neighbor as yourself this week? What are the things that you would enjoy? Ask that question. What would you want if somebody came to tend to you? Love your neighbor as yourself. What would you like to hear from your neighbor? What would you desire for your neighbor to ask you? What would you desire for your neighbor to come and have a conversation about? Now, turn it on its head and say, how can I do that for my neighbor? How can we spread an infectious disease, so to speak, of neighbor love in our own communities and neighborhoods this week? I hope you're haunted by that question. How can I express neighbor love this week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. We thank you for the reminder that as Jesus teaches us in this very in these very verses that the first of all importance 
is to love you first and foremost, that our inward lives would move upward towards you as an act of worship, but also our inward lives would move outward towards our neighbors, to our strangers that we meet, to our fellow workers that we meet, to our family members and our children, our grandchildren, that we would be the first promoters as Hickory Grove a neighbor love, that we would be a people known for the, the ones who love Christ and love other people. And I do think that Christ invites us to be haunted by that question. As he says later in another passage, well, who is your neighbor? Who is the one that you are tending to throughout this week? Who is the one who truly is in need of tender care and gentle spirit? Who is the one who needs to hear words of encouragement? Who is the one in our neighborhoods and communities and our workplaces that needs to be reminded that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness? I hope we have people that come into our minds and that their faces will continue to be on the forefront of our minds this week. And to see how we can be an expression of neighbor love this week. Where we sacrifice our schedules. We sacrifice our me time. Where we sacrifice the things that we enjoy in order to tend to, to care and to cultivate the kingdom for others. Teach us how we can do that this week, Lord. Because we offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.